Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. And unfortunately, between the two of us, we can't win in Ravnica Allegiance Limited. Why you got to lead with that? <laughs> come on. Well, I guess people know the secret's out. We did our limited level down episode last week. People know that our goal now is just to tank their win rate. Just <laughs> Absolutely. Trying to, trying to regress people here. Yeah. Both guilds. I mean, I played guilds for like a day and a half and then i was like nah i'm gonna go back to vintage cube on mtgo which i surprisingly had a really really good time with i was worried about like you know watching mtgo i think is tough but i think people come out of the woodwork on twitch for vintage cube only yeah there's some lurkers in there yeah for sure uh and then i was excited for ravnica allegiance but yeah i can't seem to win i don't know what the deal is i'm i'm finding the drafts really difficult to navigate like it just seems like maybe my guess is that it's a lot of folks who are coming to the format anew. Um, but then as we were talking about just before the show, but then if you're in like, you know, diamond at this point, then you're playing against all the people who know what they're doing or are getting the good decks or drafting well or whatever. But I'm, I'm finding the drafts tough to navigate. I do think clear the mind is feeling a little like, or clear the mind Dovin's acuity is feeling a little like spider spawning. It feels like that's what everyone wants to do. Well, and I don't even think that deck's necessarily that good in best of one. It yeah, just that, felt, I had a good version of it and it felt medium to me in best of one. Yeah, that makes sense. That, I, I could definitely see that for sure. I think you need, I mean, you need a lot of pieces to come together so you don't, you know, die in the early game so you can stabilize in the mid to late game. Right. And I do think it's important to let people know that, you know, we're struggling because People are going to struggle too. And if we're presenting, you know, hey, we're winning all the time. It's just not an accurate picture. Ethan and I go through big slumps. <laughs> yeah, but, but ben and I lose just, just as much as the rest of them, I believe. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be looking forward to Tinkerer's Cube coming out next week, I think. I'm, I'm, that'll be a nice breath of fresh air for the last two weeks before we make the final push to Kaldheim. And I do need, I think I need to make a formal resignation as the Lords of Limited pronunciation expert here, Ben, after last week's faux pas. It is called yeah. Heim, okay? I'm sorry, everybody. It's highly inappropriate for you to de declare yourself an expert and then pronounce it wrong. How dare you, sir? I'm, I'm clearing up my desk at the end of the day, and I'll, I'll be out of your hair, I promise. And that means I'm promoted, yeah? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Next in line, heir to the throne. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess that's fair. I'll be, I'll be uh, looking to you for all my pronunciation questions now, Ben. Get ready for more mispronunciations, everyone. Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> All right, so we are at the end of our, our long stretch of, of non-format specific content here, but I think I've, I've been really happy with the, the stuff we've been putting out on the show week in and week out. We got a lot of great feedback on reasons versus rewards. Uh, we had our synergy theory, even the limited level downs episode last week. I think uh, we got a lot of positive feedback on. And this week, we have a really sweet one from you, Ben, draft templates that I'm excited to dive into. I was actually, I was in a coaching session yesterday and I, I had, I was getting a lot of questions that were basically going to be answered in this episode. I was like, I think the episode we're releasing this week is going to be great for you. And I think it's going to be great for a lot of our listeners. So I'm excited to sort of outline these, these draft blueprints that you have for us, but we got a little bit of housekeeping to deal with just before we dive into that. First things first, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. If they so choose, of course, the show is always going to be free. We got a lot of sweet perks over there. We talked about the Lord's Limited Discord each and every week, how it is the best limited tech support 24 hours a day, seven days a week for you out there on the internet. And leading up to a new set is the time to get in on the Discord when we're talking about all the spoilers. You know, every time a card is previewed, it gets dropped right into the preview, the card by card evaluation section for Kaldheim. And then everyone's trying to dissect that card, figure out 
what it's going to do in limited, how good is it, et cetera. What other cards does it work with? What cards does it remind you of in the past? You know, people diving in using those card evaluation skills. And if you want to get in on that, if you want to get in early on the, the trophy section of the discord, once people are playing all that good stuff, you know, the Lords of Limited discord is the place to break open a limited format wide open. Um, so I really think if you're interested in upping your game, that that is the place to be at the start of a new set. And of course, each and every week, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold. So this week, we are welcoming to the fold Timothy, Wells, Ron, Matthias, Tom, Colin, Alexander, Sebastian, Cody, and Ben. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The Lords of Limited Discord, as Ethan said, is sweet. My favorite channel right now is the Call Time Previews channel. It's literally a one-stop shop for all the cards that have been spoiled. You just go through there and you read through. You get to see all the cards easily and you get to see a bunch of people's opinions on them. Super sweet. Podcast is now also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything you need magic related. And they've got a bunch of sweet stuff happening. They're kicking off a newsletter. Ethan, you want to tell the folks about that? Okay, so this, this newsletter is going to be every single day for CFB Pro members and each newsletter every day has a main feature and then a sub feature and we're going to have more limited content coming your way through that newsletter so you can expect a pack one pick one from alex nikolich on tuesdays and you can expect a main feature from me and ben on saturdays which is really really sweet so you're going to get even more written limited content on the pro side in addition to that channel fireball is hosting a discord call time release party which sounds super sweet oh that's awesome yeah they're bringing the pre-release experience to your home and it's going to be a place for you to hang out in the Channel Fireball Discord. You get to crack packs, get advice on your sealed decks, play games via spell table, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So CFB is selling kits for the pre-release party. So if that's what you want to do, you need to go on over to ChannelFireball.com. There's pretty clear directions on how to sign up. And we can put a link into where you download the episode um, at shop.channelfireball.com slash pages slash release party with some dashes in there. But we'll put the link where you download the episode. It's going to be on February 6th in the Channel Fireball Discord. So make sure that you check Check that out if that sounds interesting to you. In addition, if you need to order some CFB product for Caldheim, you want to get a Caldheim crate. That's essentially a booster box of Caldheim plus a bunch of other promos and sweet swag. And whenever you do any of that stuff over there, make sure you use code LOL at checkout. Ben, I'm super, super hyped for Caldheim coming out. The cards look awesome so far. And you've got a sweet preview card here that you're going to let us preview here on the show. Yeah, it was really sweet to get a preview card from Wizards of the Coast. Very honored uh, to have an individual preview card. And what better platform to present it on than Lords of Limited Podcast? So before we get into it, thank you very much to Wizards of the Coast for this free preview card. And that card is Boreal Outrider. 2G for a 3-2 snow creature elf warrior. And whenever you cast a creature spell, if snow mana of any of that spell's colors was spent to cast it, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Ooh, a little like snow lord kind of deal? Yeah, sort of. So you have to be on color. You know, you can't have a random snow swamp to cast a white creature and have it get plus one, plus one. So you need to make sure your snow basics line up with your colors. But I've heard rumors of a five color snow deck lurking around. And certainly, you know, I think Snowlands are probably going to be high picks if Modern Horizons was any sort of indicator of snow draft formats. I'm sure this information is out there already. And I'm going to feel like an idiot for asking this question on air. But do we know what the like collation of Snowlands in booster packs is yet? One per pack. They're in the basic land slot and it's either going to be a snow basic or a snow dual land oh right the snow dual lands those are so sweet yeah it's gonna be awesome 
Oh, yeah. So that's super interesting. Well, any format where lands are like actual picks or like valuable picks or decision points. And also that's going to let you know, like in Modern Horizons, remember like when people were, you know, you could see pick three. Oh, there's no snow land in this pack. Someone's real serious about these snow lands right now. Right. So Boreal Outrider is going to be it's going to be interesting to see if it's a reason to draft snow or a reward for drafting snow. Right now, it's looking to me like a, a reward, I think. I'd give this like a solid C plus, B minus. You know, I have to figure out where it lands on that spectrum. Unsurprisingly, I'm looking at this as a, a reason right now. I'm, I'm seeing build around. My ar- my eyes are all starry eyed right now with uh, <laughs> with the possibilities of this card. It seems sweet, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like eh, a little bonus here and there, plus and plus one counter here and there. And it's not something to write home about. I think the lands having to be on color is a big, a big factor there for me. That's fair, right? You can't just like jam anything in there. Well, we'll see. You think uh, maybe Arkham's Astrolabe coming back? <laughs> oh, dear Lord, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah, but that'd be cool if there's any sort of a snow fixer like that, some sort of like snow prophetic prism or whatever. But I, I would I'd be surprised to see that for sure. So there you have it. That's a wrap on my first ever preview card from Watsy. Yeah, congrats. That's super awesome. All right, Ben, I, I'm, I'm going to throw, throw it up here to you. What do you got going on here for us in draft templates? Yeah, so you and I have talked a bunch about how we've, I think, been trying to teach people ways, tools to use to get better at the game. And I was trying to think about just ways, new ways to approach magic and how to think about it and what sorts of things are helpful. Like I was just trying to brainstorm, you know, what sort of tools exists in other areas like outside of magic that are helpful things that we can import into magic. And all of a sudden it hit me that, you know, templates are something that exists, you know, in Microsoft Word or in PowerPoint or whatever. And I think that we could port that over to magic. So this is my attempt to lay out you know, the various routes that you can take through a draft, because I think there are, you know, every draft is unique, but there are patterns that emerge and there are spots that you try to get yourself into in drafts, depending on how they're going to leverage, you know, where you're at in the draft as well as you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super pumped. You know, you sent me halfway through the week, you sent me a link to the Google Doc that you were working on and it was like five pages long and it was super detailed and I was so pumped to talk about these with you. Yeah, and I think as we go into this, it's really important to note, we spend a lot of time on card evaluation and figuring out, you know, which cards are better than other cards, which archetypes are better than other cards. There's also power in the draft portion, right? And that's what these draft templates are attempting to lay out and show you that you can navigate yourself into consistently powerful spots in the draft. And what that means is power in the draft portion is you have options, right? That's how you leverage power in the draft. Yeah. And we get a lot of questions. I think if we talk about, you know, this is a card worth holding on to for dear life, or, you know, this is a pick that's fine, but I'm willing to pivot off of. And people are asking, well, how do you know when to do that? Or what are the cards that make you think about that? Or what do you do once you have one of those cards or one of those starts? And I think this episode is going to be perfect at outlining those different situations. So let's kick the first one off here. You gave these all catchy little names. That was my that was my contribution to the episode. <laughs> It's good, though. So the first one is the gold rush, which is when you start a draft with a powerful gold card. Whoa, 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 Ben. You're not supposed to start a draft with a multicolor card. Wrong. You can start with gold cards. <laughs> that was that was even too corny for me, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you have that outlined here in the show for sure. Like, I think sometimes the gold card is so good or the rest of the pack is so good that you need to start with a gold card. Or I think even in the sense of some sets 
are specific in that way. I think Zendikar Rising is a great example. You know, when we outlined our reasons versus rewards episode, you know, looking at Cleric of Life's Bond, Soaring Thought Thief, and Umara Mystic as all reasons to go into those color pairs. And those are all cards that I'm happy to start a draft with in Zendikar. Right. And I think there's several things that happen when you start a draft with a gold card, right? One is, you know, for you to do that, the rest of the pack has to be bad enough that, you know, you're taking a significant hit in power level if you don't take that gold card, right? If there's two cards that are Bs and one's gold and one's single colored, it's more flexible for you to take the single colored card. But I think, you know, if you're looking at a power level gap of a gold card that's a B, you know, signpost uncommon of a very good color pair versus something like just a replacement level common, you should definitely take the gold card to start. So what once you start with that powerful gold card, what are you doing after that? What are your thoughts as tiebreakers or decision points as you get deeper into pack one? So I think there's several different things that can happen after you start with a gold card. And we'll go through this for each of the templates. But the first scenario with a gold card is starting with a gold card and the color pairs open. So if that's the case, you're going to have a super straightforward and easy draft. So let's say you start with an Amara Mystic in Zendikar Rising and Wizards is open. Boom, done deal. You started with a gold card, you hit the jackpot, your color pair was open, easy peasy. That's super straightforward and anybody can navigate that draft. But the next thing that can happen is you start with a gold card and you can get cut out of both colors of the card. That's pretty rough spot to be in. Right. So that's like the opposite scenario. That's the worst case scenario. We've got Takumara Mystic, blue, red is open. Best case scenario, Takumara Mystic, neither blue nor red is open. That's worst case scenario. Right. It's unusual to end up in the scenario where you're cut out of both of the colors, but it can happen and it's likely to result in a very difficult draft. So once you feel like you're being cut, pretty hard out of, you know, let's say blue red in this case, I think you're incentivized to try to get into an archetype that's most likely to be open. So if you find yourself in the spot where you've started blue red and both blue and red are cut, you should try to figure out what one of the undervalued archetypes are. This is one of the best scenarios where it's, you know, you need to know how to draft all the decks. And, you know, maybe in Zendikar Rising, you're setting yourself up to draft green in this spot because, you know, green's most likely to be open and you need to, you're in emergency mode at that point. You know, if you're around pick five, pick six, you realize, oh, shoot, blue red's really not open. I need to do something else. Right. So pick five, no blue or red cards or no desirable blue or red cards, but you see a Vastwood Surge, snap that up. Next pick, you take a Reclaim the Wastes. And then you're like, all right, I'll be multicolor green. MDFC value, maybe something like that. But you set yourself up for something that you would expect to be more open or to be open more often than not. Right. It's a legitimate reason to try to get into the undervalued archetypes. Yeah. And then in the middle there, you've got, okay, well, so one end of the spectrum is both colors are open. One end of the spectrum is neither color is open. But then probably most often is one color is open, right? You take Amara Mystic first, and then you start to carve yourself into either blue or red, but like not both, right? So you're seeing maybe a lot of blue cards, but not so many red cards. Well, that's an okay spot to be in. There's like a number of different things you can do there. One, you can expect to go, well, if blue is open from the right and I'm not passing any red, then I can expect red to be open from the left in pack two. And then I'll like fill out my red cards there. And then I can expect blue to be open again in pack three. Or in the sense of sometimes maybe you get pushed off of that colored pair, but then you've got a card that is splashable. So I wouldn't say that any of the gold uncommons are worth it. But let's say we replace taking Umar Mystic with Zagras Thief of Heartbeats, right? The Rakdos rare that's very, very splashable, especially off the back of Prismites. So, you know, you can start the draft with Zagras, get deep into black, but red is cut. Well, then maybe you end up in black, white, but you play a mountain and a couple Prismites and now you can splash this card. But so those are some different 
possibilities you have. And you have to think of, you know, even though the, you know, Zagros is single pipped, all these gold cards are single pipped in the sense of being able to be splashed. But I wouldn't consider something like Zarathon or Aura to be necessarily worth splashing because they're so tribal powered, whereas Zagros is just like raw power. Right. And so I think one of the things you're trying to decide when you first pick that gold card is, is this card worth splashing? And I think in the case of Umara Mystic, no. In the case of something like Zagoras, yes. So when you take a gold card, that should be one of the first things you're asking yourself. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you just want to make sure you have that defined in your head. And then if you are, you know, thinking, hey, I might want to splash this card, make sure you spend picks on fixing. It's worth spending high picks on fixing if you've got a card the power level of Zagoras that you want to splash. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Next template here we've got is the Dynamite, which is starting a draft with a single color bomb that's in like the A, A plus territory. Yeah. So when you start with a bomb, you are highly incentivized to take cards of the color of the bomb to try to cut that color, as well as ensure you get enough cards of that color to play that color, even if it isn't really open. So you can think about Noxious Gear Hulk from Kaladesh Remastered, Zendikar Rising Had, Drawn of the Last Blood Chief, Leyline Tyrant. Akoria, Dirge Bat, Theros Beyond Death, basically every card, Elspeth Conquers Death, <laughs> Kiora Best the Sea God, right? Like there were tons of cards in that set. But, you know, thinking about these cards that are like game warping, we just had a draft posted in the hero tier section of the Patreon where someone started on Mall of the Skyclaves and then sort of waffled a bit like Wizards looked open, then they made their way back to like Red White for Mall. And I was just like, Mall of the Skyclaves is nuts, especially in Best of One. So I'm just going to try and hold on to white for dear life a little bit for that card. Right. And I think, you know, another thing that factors what's going on in your draft if you start with the bomb is whether or not your bomb is single pipped or double pipped. So if it's double pipped, you really, really, really need to try to get into that color. And if it's double pipped, you're more willing to take hits in power, I think, to stay that color. But if it's single pipped, you know, similar to the gold rush where you have the option to splash the card, it's not as necessary to take hits in power level to get cards of that color because worst case scenario you should theoretically be able to pick up fixing to splash that card right something like felidar retreat right like i don't have to be base white to put that card on my deck i can you know have a little bit of fixing if i end up in green ideally in this format but some formats provide a wealth of colorless fixing you know we're about to enter a set that has dual lands at common or dual lands replacing the basic land slot. So you're going to see those a lot more and you're going to have a lot more options for splashing in that set than you do in Zendikar. So if we're in this, you know, dynamite scenario where we open a bomb, first thing is, you know, you're starting with that bomb, doesn't matter whether it's single or double pipped and the color is open. So again, if that's the case, you're probably going to have a super straightforward draft. You know, let's say you open a blue bomb, you know, and blue is open, you're going down the blue route. You have the luxury then of trying to take blue cards, you know, stay blue and figure out what second color is most open for your seat. And, you know, you even have the luxury of trying to, if blue's really open, figure out the color pair that's going to pair best with that. You know, maybe you think blue-black is the best deck, okay? Try to pick up black as your secondary color. Maybe you think red's the best deck, blue-red's the best deck, and you try to pick up red as your secondary color. But if you start with a bomb and that color is open, you're in a super powerful spot in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the dream scenario. Then the next scenario is you start with a bomb that is double pipped and the color isn't really open. Now you have some options here, right? You don't have to let the table push you off of this color. You can force the color anyway and find whatever secondary color that is open enough that it can support the vast majority of your playables. Now, again, this scenario can come about like we talked about with the gold card where, okay, I start with Drana. It's not looking like black is open. That's fine. I figure out what my second color is. And then I hope that because I've not passed much black, that the person to my left or the couple people to my left are not in black. And then in pack two, I get enough black playables that it fills out 
out the rest of my deck. And then I, you know, again, in pack three, we'll figure out what that secondary color is and I'll get the rest of my playables from that color. There's also this like very, very small but possible scenario where you're not passing any black. So in pack two, the person to your left or the people to your left are passing you black. You're snapping up all those cards. And then you manage to push the people to your right off of black, right? Maybe they didn't end up with a lot in pack one and they get pushed off of black. And then you get black cards in pack three by surprise or by your, you know, sheer force of taking those cards. So it's not necessarily going to be the case that taking those black cards or forcing black in pack one is going to be terrible for you. You can end up with a lot of black cards in in that scenario. And another option that you've got, you know, if you start with that double pip bomb and your color's not really open is actually just abandoning the bomb and drafting a different color pair, which hurts. But identifying when it's correct to do that is going to significantly approve not only your drafting ability, but your win rate. You know, you start with that Drana and Black's Cut and you end up in Blue Red Wizards or you end up in, I don't know, Blue Green Kicker. That's going to significantly up your win percentage if you can identify those spots when it's correct to move off of a card that powerful. Right. And then the the last scenario here is when the bomb is single pipped rather than double pipped. And then this obviously gives you a lot more options here because you can what whatever you can force the color anyway, find the secondary color, etc. You can abandon it totally or you have this option now because it's single pipped of trying to move into a way to splash it. So you're like, all right, well, this color isn't open, but I am very much going to set myself up to be able to cast it and find my my three-ish free sources, four-ish free sources for it. And in Zendikar, I think that's generally going to be by drafting green, but in other sets, maybe not. You know, maybe you're just picking up, like I said, with when you got the Zagras, you're just picking up a couple party prismites and one basic, you know, like I think that's an option for you as well. Right. And knowing in every given format what the ways are to splash cards is so important. That's why in the Crash Course, every format, we talk about the fixing that's available and what that means for the format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Next one here is called the diamond in the rough. Little Aladdin reference there. Yeah. Uh, Which is where you start with a draft of a good card that's in an undesirable color or color pair. So in this case, uh, the first thing in Zendikar Rising, you know, maybe you start with a green card, something like a Kazandu Mammoth, like the one GG three, three landfall gets plus two plus two and mdfc flip card uh green tap land on the other side yeah i think this is something that we do and maybe the community at large doesn't do or or perhaps the community at large does to an extreme like we're not writing colors off or whatever but we are trying to make distinctions about what we think the the best colors are the desirable colors are color pairs you know talking about naya and m21 or mardu and akoria the things that you want to gravitate towards or or as we often say like bias towards soft force draft with preferences whatever how however you want to frame it but just having an idea in our head of like these are the colors that i want to get to more often but then here are the cards in the other colors that i identify as reasons to do those colors like i think ancient green warden is super super powerful if i pack one pick one that in zendikar rising i'm happy about that even though i don't think green is a very good color i think that's a card that's an exception to that rule and so i'm going to be happy to go into that color for a card like that right sure so when you start with a good card of an undesirable color or color pair there's weird incentives that really start to happen during the draft one you can either lean into it because you expect it to be underdrafted so you know in the case of ancient green warden you know if you're snapping that up i think you would expect green to be open more often than not right yeah, I think you you should expect to be able to get whatever the nectar pots that you need early in the curve to stabilize to get the MDFC piles because that's really what you want. You want it to be a green based MDFC pile deck so you can cast your MDFCs as spells and then replay them as lands 
because of ancient green warden and then pick them up with your stompers or your hellions, whatever that all should be pretty available to you most of the time during a draft. Right. And the second thing that can happen, and I think this depends on the power level of the card that you first pick in that undesirable color or color pair, but you can start to value cards of a better color higher to maybe try to get out of the undesirable color. So, and in the case of Kazandu mammoth or something, that's a good solid card, but it's not something that really makes me want to be green. You know, if I'm green, Thrilled to put that card in my deck. It's a great card, right? But it's not powerful enough that I think I want to draft green in Zendikar Rising. So maybe you start to get deep into blue. And, you know, that ends up getting you the ability to, okay, either I can play blue green, you know, if green's kind of open, or maybe I can pivot into blue red wizards and get off of this Kazandu Mammoth that I started my draft with. Right. Yeah, I think it's important to then have down the road the ideas of, okay, here are the cards that I'm seeing of desirable colors or color pairs. And maybe I want to hedge on those. Maybe you're, you know, in your first five or six picks, you're drafting multiple decks. And that's okay. You can be like, okay, I've got three picks for this green deck with whatever green warden or Kazandu mammoth, whatever the card is that's pulling you into green. I've got three cards of that. Uh, I've got three cards for that route. And then I've also got three cards for this blue black rogues route that seems like it might be open as well and you just got to be able to toe the line there and have a bunch of as we keep saying these are just ultimately tiebreakers of what the picks are for each deck and how deep you want to get into one of the two archetypes that you're drafting etc so i've got some examples of cards here from recent sets over the years it's so funny that like I feel bad for green, but <laughs> a lot of green cards, on a this lot list. of green. It's like, you know, a lot of the bombs worth sticking to are black and a lot of the undesirable cards or a lot of the like there's like good cards in undesirable colors or color pairs are green or green black, which is sort of ironic. So I threw Moss Pit Skeleton out here as probably the best of the green gold uncommons. And that's not a card that pack one pick one it makes me want to play black green at all but maybe midway through the pack and that's a card that that excites me but moving down the list here off the the heels of guilds of ravnica being out i would say golgari fine broker the black black green green three four etbs you return a permanent from your graveyard to your hand that's super super powerful and i would say one of the two undesirable guilds or less desirable guilds uh kogla the titan ape that's three triple green for the the huge bomb in Akoria. but like again did you really want to start the draft with a triple green card almost never because it's so color committing think about i mean teferi's tutelage was a card i think a lot of people were high on but blue was i would say an undesirable color in m21 even though teferi's tutelage was the best uncommon in blue and a really sweet build around and a very powerful card it just wasn't something where i was like all right i'm gonna start the draft with this but i'm gonna be looking for an escape route most of the time. Right. So if we're looking now at the templates, then those are some of the incentives that can happen. First thing is you start your draft with that card of an undesirable color or color pair, and that color is open. You know, when you end up going down that route, you're probably going to end up with a good version of a tier two deck in the format. And sometimes that's good enough to trophy, you know, and I don't think you should be scared off enough of doing that that is a totally fine thing to come out of this right i mean going off the heels of last week's episode you know you don't want to focus too much on getting you know all right these are the three colors i want to get myself into and i'm going to ignore the other two because then you can let that good version of a tier 1.5 or tier 2 deck pass you by and those decks are very serviceable to get you a trophy right and i think there's also some weird things that start to happen on arena specifically you know in rank draft or best of three i think the better your pod is, 
the more willing you should be to draft an undesirable color or color pair, right? Because more people are going to be fighting over the better colors and the decks are going to be worse, especially if you're playing in pod. Mm -hmm. But league play does disincentivize you a little bit to, I think, draft the worst color or the worst color pair in the format because you're going to be matched up ultimately against people that ended up in the best colors with good decks in those colors. Right, especially as you accrue your wins, if it's matchmaking you by your rank, but also by your decks win record like as you get more wins you're going to face better and better decks so second scenario that can come out of this is you start your draft with a card of an undesirable color or color pair and you decide to lean away from it so and i think in this sense you just need to make a little bit of a mental shift so normally the thing in draft is right you know you're trying to decide between two cards pack one pick two and the tiebreaker is you know the card that shares a color with the color that you started with but if you are consciously thinking okay this card is good but not quite good enough that i want to draft green so because andy mammoth for me is like the card that is that poster child it's a really good green card but it's not good enough that i want to draft green right so you could think of i start the draft with Xandu mammoth next pack do you see you know one of the top commons you see into the royal or royal eruption versus gnarled colony I'd, i would say if we're talking about like you start with Drana and you see Vanquish the Week versus one of those. I'm taking Vanquish the Week over into the Royal or Royal Eruption when I have Drana. Whereas vice versa, if I'm starting with Kazandu Mammoth and then I'm looking at into the Royal or Royal Eruption versus Gnarled Colony, I'm taking Royal Eruption there over Gnarled Colony. I'm not going to like, you know, stick to Kazandu Mammoth for dear life. That's not a card worth doing that for in my mind. Right. So you almost go against conventional draft wisdom and you want to get away from the color that you started. <laughs> so you're actually incentivized to branch out into other colors. Right. I mean, you're just more likely to see higher power cards if you've identified, hey, green is the weaker color. So I'm not going to see good commons for that color. But in Grixis, I am going to see good commons or in blue red, I am going to see good commons. You're just going to be faced with that tiebreaker in the reverse situation so much more often because into the royal and bubble snare and royal eruption and grow tag bug catcher exist whereas green doesn't have those you're like what am i getting what am i doing i'm taking gnarled colony or reclaim the wastes or rabid bite like those cards just don't matter whereas the the, the other cards the cards from grixis really do matter and uh, so maybe you take that royal eruption pack one pick two and you get a little deeper into red and you end up drafting red green anyway that's fine mm -hmm. but by getting deep into that other color you also give yourself maybe the opportunity to pivot off of green so the third option here is is you start the draft with a card of an undesirable color or color pair and you end up reluctantly drafting it this is just your life ben that you're describing here Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes this will re result in you still drafting the undesirable color, but you will ideally end up with more cards of a stronger color. So, you know, Kazandu Mammoth doesn't really give you that option. That's sort of tough because it's a one GG card. It's most powerful on turn three. So you really want to have like nine, 10 green sources in your deck to be able to cast that reliably on turn three. And so green has to be your base color. The higher up the curve you go, if we do the ancient green warden example, green doesn't have to be my base color there, right? Ideally, I can draft something else, you know, good, red, blue can be my main color, and then green can be my secondary color. And I can still maybe reap the rewards of the potential power level of that ancient green warden. Right. And so, you know, if you are drafting, you know, green or whatever, Choosing the color that you pair with green can also be a big deal, right? So, you know, you start green. I would very hard try to get into blue if I start green in Zendikar Rising because I think blue green is far and away the best color pair. Mm -hmm. So knowing which colors pair well, you know, with that color that's undesirable. And sometimes that color is undesirable because it only plays well with two of the other colors. But if you get into those two colors, you can end up with a very good deck. You know, thinking white from Zendikar Rising. You know, if I'm white, I really want to be white, black, or white, red. 
And, you know, maybe white blue is fine. And I'm certainly trying to avoid white green. And not that white's the worst color, but just knowing what you're trying to do if you end up with a color that doesn't necessarily play well with all the colors is really important. Agreed. So along that lines of thinking, in some cases, you're actually incentivized, you know, if you start with a green card to look at that green card as a blue, green, gold card. Like if you can make that mental shift to if I'm going to draft green, I really want to draft green, blue, I should almost treat this green card like a green, blue, gold card. Just to piggyback off of that, I think that's just a good in general thought process to have when you're getting deep in one color in pack one. Just understand that if you're starting a draft with like six blue cards, that doesn't mean you're open to all six archetypes, right? Do you have four of those six cards have kicker? Well, then you would probably like to get into blue-green kicker if possible. Are four or five of those six cards spells or wizards? Well, then you'd like to get into blue-red. And so like Namana Skydancer, pick seven, maybe the best card out of the pack, but it doesn't actually go with what you have so far. So the first red card you should take is an inordinate range or a tormenting voice because that's what goes best in blue-red spells, wizards, whatever. Like, I think you want to be thinking about your cards not only as monocolored on face value, but like dig a little deeper and think about, okay, where if I could choose at the end of this draft to be in a certain color pair, what would I choose based on these cards? Right. Next up, we've got the dud, and this is starting (laughs) a draft with an underpowered card. And this shouldn't happen that often these days, I would say. I mean, it does sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not saying... And sometimes you just open a pack and you're like, is this the worst pack of Zendikar Rising ever opened by humans? And that can happen. And you just have to sort of make the most of it here. So you think about cards that are... you know, So you don't have any good rares. These are then cards outside of the top two commons or uncommons in their colors. If we think about Tazim Royal Mage or Ardent Electromancer or Vanquish the Weak in Zendikar Rising. Right. And I think if this is happening to you, you have a little bit more flexibility than normal, right? Because you don't really care if you end up in the color that you're starting, right? Right. This is a really tough mental shift, I think, because so much of the draft is like that adrenaline rush of the the pack cracking before you see what your options are to pick. Pack one, pick one. What do I get to build around? What great removal spell do I get to start with? What do I even get a bomb? And then you just get a dud. And the mental shift to make is this pick doesn't matter. Like this pick is not going to dictate anything that happens to the rest of the draft. Even if you take, you know, Tazim Royal Mage, rock star in limited, right? Super, super sweet with a lot of cards, just like great in any blue deck, obviously. Is that going to make you draft blue? No. So I just want to make that shift of like, hey, I'm going to pick this card. I'm trying to pick the best card out of this pack, but it's not going to influence any future picks. It's not going to inform many tiebreakers on future picks. And I'm just going to really more than more than normal be along for the ride in this draft and see what comes to me rather than have a first pick that is going to have some sort of weight to my future picks. Right. So essentially, from that point onward, you should just ignore that card and treat packs as if they were pack one, pick one. You know, you go to your pack one, pick two, whatever the best card in the pack is, you should nab that up. So you shouldn't fall into the trap of prioritizing cards that share a color with your ardent electromancer that you started with. And I think if you do open one of these packs that has a bunch of duds in it, that's a reason to try to steer into the better colors, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got a choice between Tazim Royal Mage and Gnarled Colony, you definitely want to take the Tazim Royal Mage because blue is a much better color than green in Zendikar Rising. Right. Even though you might think, well, Royal Mage is the third best blue common and Gnarled Colony is the first or second best, whatever, however you have it ranked, that shouldn't really influence you in pack one, pick one. You should really then let your knowledge of desirable colors or archetypes influence what you know, C-level card you take out of the pack. Right. And then it's almost freeing in a certain sense. Yeah. Like you know you get to navigate the draft. 
Yeah, and then, but but the real trap is here to avoid that we're trying to hit home is to to not let that because it's very easy to you just go like, well, I first picked a blue card, so the future tiebreaker should be if the card is blue or whatever, and obviously blue is desirable, but don't let that make any sort of weight for future picks. I think right. So the next template we've got here is the steady starting a draft with a good card of a desirable color, not a bomb, just a rock solid card, you know, maybe a B minus type card of a desirable color. And this should be the most often template, right? Depending on like how bomb heavy the format is. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you're starting with like just a good uncommon, one of the top commons, something, you know, into the Royal, Royal Eruption, Core Celebrant, maybe like a super strong MDFC, something like Black Bloom Rogue or whatever, you know, like that's probably your most often start to a draft these days. Right. And in this scenario, you just want to try to get deeper, deeper, deeper into that color. You know, if you start Royal Eruption, I'm pushing hard to try to get into red. Or if you start with an into the Royal, I'm pushing hard to try to get into blue. Now, when you say pushing hard, like, is there a degree here between, so let's compare this to starting with Leyline Tyrant, a double pipped mythic rare bomb in red versus starting with Royal Eruption, the best common in red, the best common in the set. Like, how hard can you give me, like, on a scale, how hard are you trying to carve your lane out for red in each of those scenarios? Yeah, so Leyline Tyrant, I'm more willing to, you know, take drastic hits in power level, as you said. You know, I might take... Molten Blast? Are we going that low? No. Sure. You know, you might take an Ardent Electromancer or a Molten Blast over something like Into the Royal, potentially, maybe. And it's it's different depending on how deep you are in the draft. But with Leyline Tyrant, I'm much more willing to take obvious hits in power level like that. With something like Royal Eruption, it's just more that I want to end up with like five red cards and two cards of another color versus a split of like four and three. You know, just that one more card, one more red card can make a big difference in your ability to pivot into a different color other than the two colors you started out with. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction you made about like when it happens in the draft. You know, if, if we're seeing pick two, we start with Leyline Tyrant. I know I'm going down a little rabbit hole here, but I think it's important to talk about. So if we're looping back to that, starting with a double pipped bomb, um, you know, start with Leyline Tyrant, then pick two. If I see Into the Royal there and it's Into the Royal versus Molten Blast, I'm going to take Into the Royal there. Whereas if that's pick four and let's say I go Leyline Tyrant into Bug Catcher into Electromancer, I'm much more willing pick four to take Molten Blast over Into the Royal there. Right. And that's sort of what I was talking about, where you can leverage power in the draft portion, right? It's powerful. You're taking a worse card, Mm -hmm. but you're setting yourself up in a powerful spot in the draft to where then you can draft any of the other four colors. And as soon as you start collecting cards of a secondary color, it lessens your ability to do that. Right. I mean, we, we talked about this, I think it was last week of this idea of, you know, if I can be at pick seven and have four cards of color A, two cards of color B and one card of color C versus having three and three of colors A and B. Like once I have three and three, that feels like I'm sort of locked into that color pair for maybe no reason. Whereas if I have four and two, that feels way more flexible. Like, well, I know I'm color A and then I'm open to other possibilities. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So back to this one, the steady starting a draft with a good card of a desirable color. What are these possible routes? Yeah. So I think it's similar to the drafts where you start with a bomb. I mean, not quite that much, but a similar thing is happening there, right? So if you start with that good card of a desirable color and the color is open, great. You should be trying to get deep into that color like we talked about. You know, you start with a royal eruption, you're trying to get deep into the red. But while you're doing that, you're trying to figure out what the best color to complement the color you're getting deep into is. 
And if this is happening and your color is open, you should have an easy draft. If you start with a Royal Eruption and red is open, you're kind of locked. You should end up with a good deck. Yeah, or at least a, a cohesive deck, you know, like maybe something weird happens. The packs don't break your way, etc. But like you should have a deck with a, a pretty solid game plan. Mm hmm. And so that's the most easy, most obvious scenario. The second scenario here is you start with a good card of a desirable color and you're getting pushed out of that color by your neighbor after about four or five picks. So let's say this is blue. You know, you've got enough cards of blue. You started with uh, an end of the royal and you've got, you know, three, four blue cards to go along with your end of the royal. But you start feeling eh, blue's really not open. So you have to decide whether or not you want to fight for blue. Right. So theoretically, you're supposed to get hooked up in pack two from your neighbor if you've cut blue. Right. So you've got three or four blue cards and you're feeling that blue is getting cut from the right. You know, ideally, you're going to get blue in pack two and then, you know, you're not going to get as much blue in pack three. But if you can find a second color that's open, you can still draft blue. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to largely be dictated by one, the power of the blue cards you have. You know, if you're if we're talking like double into the royal and a bubble snare and a Tazim royal mage, I'm pretty happy to like try and stick to blue. Those are really strong cards. If we're talking like, you know, into the royal and the like three two wizard that cantrips if you have another wizard and maybe a chilling trap, like these are less desirable blue cards to stick to for dear life or to to think like, hey, this is a powerful start to a draft. The other thing I think is what's being dictated to you by the table. So if you're on like blue card, blue card, and then you're seeing the Cargan War Leader in a Relic Axe, and then you're like, I should probably be moving into this Red White Warriors deck and completely pivot off of blue altogether because the table is telling me something different is open. And that plan, you know, where you start with those blue cards and you think, okay, I'm going to get blue in pack two, that can sometimes go way wrong because your neighbor could also be thinking that right the person to your left can be mm -hmm. thinking you know maybe they got a couple blue cards and then you're feeling they're feeling cut from blue from you and the person to your right and they're thinking well i can draft blue in pack two and then i'll get a little bit in pack three and if that's happened and you're relying on that you can that's when you really potentially start to train wreck your draft so just know that that strategy is a little bit dangerous and the more likely that is to be dangerous is directly correlated to how desirable that color is. So, you know, if we think about the most extreme example from the past year is black and Theris Beyond Death, right? Like, you know, that color could be supported by four probably drafters at the table, three or four. And there was this sort of mini game in the draft of like playing chicken. Like, do I want to just avoid black altogether and let everyone else fight over it? Or do I want to take this Elspeth's nightmare first and fight over black for a card like that? Right. And then if you were, you know, you got cut out of black and you were banking on getting it in pack two, but your neighbor also had that same thought and they cut you from the left in pack two, you could really, really end up scraping for playables. Yeah. And the last version of this is you start with a good card of a desirable color and it's completely cut as we talked about with the like, you know, having some blue cards and then seeing red, white warriors being open. You know, you just have to decide if the card is worth splashing or if you just abandon it. And I think, you know, most commons are not worth splashing. Maybe Royal Eruption is in some sort of, you know, green, black or green, white MDFC deck that has a bunch of fixing. But most of the time, I would say the commons are not worth splashing. Maybe you see some uncommons that are. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think this is how most of your drafts are going to go. You know, you're going to have to determine how open the color is, whether or not you should stick to it or pivot off of it. And that's one of the hardest things about draft. And it, it boils down to something as as small as, you know, the difference between, as you've talked about, three cards of the color, three cards of blue or four cards of blue or five cards of blue. As soon as you get into, you know, like the four card territory of blue cards, that's when I really feel like, OK, maybe I could stick to this color. But then it also depends on how good those cards are. 
right? There's so many variables. That's what makes magic drafting great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next one here, we've got the tightrope. This is one of my favorites. So you start a draft with good cards of a desirable color, and then you're towing the line between multiple decks while you're drafting that good color. So this is a little bit more of an advanced technique uh, to be able to put into practice. But, you know, let's say, again, from Zendikar Rising, you're starting blue and you're getting deep into blue. But you don't know whether you're going to be blue-red wizards or blue-black rogues or blue-green kicker. So in this example, you're always going to be trying to get deep into blue because you 100% know you're playing blue. But maybe you pick up, you know, a red card here, a black card here, and you're trying to toe the line as long as you possibly can until you really feel like you have the information to know, okay, I should be blue-red wizards. And then you pull the trigger and you lock it in. I think a perfect example here of maybe some some tiebreaker picks or some picks you wouldn't normally make is like thinking about it, Expedition Diviner versus Skyclave Squid. So, you know, you're deep into blue, but you don't know what version of blue you're going to be in. Well, if you're blue red wizards, Expedition Diviner is going to be great, right? It's going to cantrip most of the time. It's going to trigger your wizard slash spells matter stuff. But if you're not, or if you're in like a party deck and you only end up with a handful of wizards, Diviner is a little awkward. Whereas like Skyclave Squid is worse in that deck but better on average like it's just going to be good in all of your blue decks if you're a defensive deck you're going to be happy with the two mana three two speed bump if you're an aggressive tempo deck you're going to be happy with the two mana three two that can attack on most turns so you know that card is going to be you know less synergistic but more flexible for you right and maybe maybe the wizards or rogues example is bad maybe you're trying to figure out whether you're blue red party or your blue white party like uh you know you're deep into because it's hard in a tribal format yeah, yeah. to really be towing the line between two decks like that. You know, maybe you're trying to figure out if you're red, white warriors or blue, black rogues. You know, that's also something that could happen. Sure. Um, you've got picks that go deep into both of those decks. But trying to ultimately find cards that go in as many different decks as possible until you pull the trigger on the deck that you think is most open. Yeah. And knowing when to pull that trigger is so tough that it can happen midway through pack one. It can happen at the end of pack two. It can happen at the beginning of pack three. Like there are really a lot of options for you there, depending on how much you're delaying the decision. And it ultimately boils down to for this to really work. One color has to be very open for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have to not be getting some clear signals as far as what your secondary color should be. Right. If we're talking about the extreme examples of towing the line between red, white warriors and blue, black rogues, I would say you want to make that decision no later than the beginning of pack two. But like ideally, you're not drafting those two disparate decks during pack one. Right. And I think, you know, if you're deep into a single color and trying to figure out which color to pair with it, that you can run all the way into pack three, potentially, if that color is really open. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we've got I think this is my favorite, the glue, baby. This is starting a draft with a good glue card, either colorless or in a good color. Yeah. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you're going to know what these types of cards are. So the Forbidden Friendships from Ikoria, the Stonework Pack Beast from Zendikar Rising, the Golden Egg from Throne of Eldraine, Traveler's it's thrill a possibility from theros beyond death so this is perhaps an underwhelming place to start but it is also kind of a great place to start a draft because it leaves you with a ton of flexibility and in the event of a colorless card with a pick you know you can end up with in your deck right so if you start a draft with golden egg you're just like look i know this is making the cut no matter what starting a draft with stonework pack beast outside of like most green decks Pack Beast is going to make the cut and it's going to be phenomenal, right? So this can result in two, I'd say, rough templates for pack one. The first is you find an open color fairly soon based on what's being sent to you. 
great. The draft is going well. And hopefully that lines up if your card is colored, right? If you're starting with Forbidden Friendship and red is open in Akoria, great. If you're starting with Whisper Squad in Akoria and black is open, great. Or if you're starting with a colorless card, it doesn't matter and you can just read the signals appropriately. And the second is that you end up taking hashtag delay the decision to the extreme and leave yourself super flexible in pack one. You know, you're willing to take hits in power to gain flexibility a little bit. And then you allow pack two to really solidify your archetype and your game plan. So sets that have lots of colorless cards make this a little easier than not. So if we think of Throne of Eldraine or Kaladesh Remastered, right, these artifact-based sets, um, you can take a number of artifacts, maybe hybrid cards in the event of Eldraine, and still be open to multiple routes through pack one. So if I start with three colorless cards in Eldraine, I go Clockwork Servant into Golden Egg into Enchanted Carriage. The deeper I get into pack one without committing to a color or color pair, the more incentivized I am to continue to do that until the start of pack two, right? The example we gave of the Leyline Tyrant pick of starting with powerful red card, then if I go red card, red card, then I am much more incentivized to take larger hits in power level as the pack progresses to stay deeper into that color. Similarly with starting with a bunch of colorless cards. Yeah. And the reason for that is that in theory, right, the power level of each pick drops off, right? So I will have more opportunities to take a powerful card in pick two than I will in pick five if everyone is drafting appropriately and taking you know the most powerful or nearly the most powerful cards out of each pack. So the deeper I get into the pack, the less that hit and power level is going to matter, right? I'm, then I'm taking a C minus card over a C or a D plus over a C minus, and that just doesn't matter. Yes, absolutely, because all those cards are either role player or replacement level. Exactly. And something that can happen in Zendikar Rising, you know, maybe you take Stonework Pack Beast into a removal spell into cards that are good in both party and tribal and leave you open to whatever. So for example, maybe you go Stonework Pack Beast into Royal Eruption, into a Grow Tag Bug Catcher, into a Core Celebrant, into a Malakir Blood Priest. And you're trying to figure out, you know, whether you're red-white party or your red-black party. You've got infinite combinations if your draft is starting like that. Right. You can be red-white warriors. You can be red-white party. You can be red-black party, black-white clerics, black-white party, right? So this this draft seemingly looks like, oh, what a wreck. You've got, you went two red cards into white card into black card. It's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. Like I now have options for not only multiple color pairs, but multiple archetypes within those color pairs. So you have a lot of possibilities based on taking those cards, right? The flexible cards or whatever don't have to just be colorless. A lot of the cards that we named, like, you know, premium removal or role players in multiple archetypes, those are going to leave you out to different routes throughout the draft. And a lot of that is due to the flexibility of Stonework Pack Beast, right? Yep, absolutely. And so I would say the glue is like, I don't know, would you rather start with a glue card or would you rather start with a good card of a good color? I think I'd rather start with a good card of a good color. Yeah, for sure. So the glue is like a step up from the dud, but I think I'd almost rather start with a good glue card than a card of an undesirable color. Eh, that's probably not true. I'd probably rather take Kazandu Mammoth than a Stonework Pack Beast or something. It's just, look, it's whatever whatever the magic gods grant you in your pack one, pick one, and now you've got, you know, multiple frameworks for those starts, you know? Boom. I was just trying to think about ranking the templates, like which, how you want to start your draft. I think glue is low. Like I would rather start with something that gives me direction than not, you know? Sure. So the last one we've got here for you is the train wreck. Oof. Yeah. Starting a draft with good cards of many different colors in the first four to five picks. Except this is not really a train wreck. That's <laughs> true, right? Like, you know, you come in and you go, what happened here? You have white card, blue card, red card, green card. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, but like what 
what's going on in this draft? Why is it going so awry? It looks like you have no plan, but it's not that bad. Right. I think a lot of people get really uncomfortable if they're in this spot, but it's really not a bad place to be because you have a lot of different options available to you. So this is probably the second most flexible spot you can be in in draft besides being really deep in one color. You know, you've got six blue cards, you're the most flexible. But, you know, if you have a bunch of cards, you know, five cards of five colors after five picks, you know, you can still go anywhere, right? Um, it can be tough to figure out a little bit if the power level of the packs dried up. You know, you've talked about, you know, as the packs progressing, you know, in that ley line tyrant example, you know, you're taking less hits in power level because you're getting past worse cards overall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got those five cards of of separate colors that are all pretty powerful. It can be a little difficult to read the signals to really figure out where you should go. And in general, if you're in that spot, you should be putting more weight on the cards that you received, you know, picks four through six rather than the picks one through three, right? Because as you get deeper into the pack, it's more likely that that color is open if you're being passed a good card of that color. Right, absolutely. So ultimately, if you're in this spot, you're really trying to narrow this down to two colors that you think are most likely to be open for your seat. And again, you know, as we've talked about, it's even better if you can get deep into one of those colors to give yourself more time to find a second color. You know, you so you start with five picks in, you start with Wooberg, and then you start to settle into red a little bit. And then you have a lot of time to try to figure out what you want to pair red with. Right. The most important thing here when you're down this quote unquote train wreck route is to not panic, right? You're going to find yourself in this spot some percentage of the time. And if you're really trying to read signals and give yourself the best chance to have a good draft, this will happen to you. And the important thing to remember is like, you're just not going to be short playables. Magic sets, by and large, do not have quote unquote unplayables. There are very few actual bad cards, right? Even like some cards that we pointed out in the 50 takes in 50 minutes episode of Zendikar, like these replaceable-ish five drops at common, like Living Tempest or Dreadworm or McKindiox, those are fine. You can put them in your deck and they can win you games of magic. That's like totally reasonable. And you will just be able to cobble together a deck no matter what. And so you rather than thinking about it as a train wreck, thinking about it as I have so many options. I can go white, green, white, red, white, black. Like I have these four really, really strong picks in four different colors. And at the end of the draft, two of them are going to make it into my deck, maybe three if I can splash one. And that's a really good spot to be in. Right. And another possible thing that can come up as a result of all of this, you know, you start with, you know, five picks in, you've got Wooberg. If there is a multicolor deck available in the format, you could just be drafting that deck, right? You know, if green has a lot of fixing and there's a four or five color control deck, that's something you can definitely do. And you need to know how to do that, especially if your draft is going to start with this way. So if you're in that scenario and it's whatever, a five color green deck, you should be looking to try to get deeper into green, right? And you should be taking some hits in power level to get into green. And there's the old, you know, you're splashing your fixing joke. <laughs> if if you really are having a lot of good cards of other colors, it is worth it to solidify yourself into base green so that you can have the fixing to play all these other good cards that you started your draft with. Right. But this is not an excuse to have bad mana. You still should have a base two color deck, right? At the end of the draft, you should be able to say, well, I'm blue green, but I'm also touching red and black for these, you know, three powerful cards or whatever. And as we've talked about many times of splashing or building a good mana base, whatever, make sure you've got that two color deck and that your splash is worth the risk, right? Splashing has an inherent risk to it. So make sure the power level of the cards is there so that you're taking on that risk appropriately. Right. And make sure the format has the tools to support it, right? Not every format can do this deck or certainly it's not as powerful of a deck in every format. You can probably make it work, 
but whether or not it's actually good is another thing. Right. I would say it's like not good in Zendikar Rising, for example. Oh, no. <laughs> like even because so many of the good bombs are double pipped, it makes it hard, right? So many of the good cards that are double pipped. So like, you know, you can do the green MDFC thing, but it's so I think it's so undesirable, unfortunately. Yeah, just a little bit underpowered. So big picture takeaways from this. Do you have anything? I just think it's it all comes back to like homework for me or just preparation in the sense of knowing what you're doing, not only in a specific set, but in just draft overall of like, okay, so these are the cards that are worth holding on to for dear life. These are the cards that I'm incentivized to get into a color, but I'm I'm fine to move off of. These are the cards that don't matter. These are the ways that I'm going to be getting into this deck. These are the ways that I'm going to be getting off of my current draft. You know, like just having those ideas in your head, it all comes back to pick orders and tier lists, etc. But just like preparation is key or having these ideas of templates as preparation, I think is key. Right. And I think you can transport these templates over into any format. Yeah. Like Ethan said, you're going to have to fill out a lot of them require knowledge of the format, right? You need to know what the best colors are. You need to know what the best decks are. You need to know what the rares are that you're going to really try to warp your pick order for. You need to know a card like Into the Royal, where you'd really like to be blue, but you'd probably let yourself get pushed off a of blue. You know, Royal Eruption. Are you going to stick to red for Royal Eruption? It's close, but probably not, you know. So you can determine those things ahead of time so that you're not having to decide that for yourself as the clock is ticking down on the draft timer. But again, the thing I'd like to hammer home more than anything else is that you can get yourself into powerful spots in the draft, you know, whether you're deep into one color or you've got cards of many colors um, and just knowing what that allows you to do through the rest of the draft, you know, having options is powerful. Yeah. Again, there's this, there's this balancing act of letting the table inform what you're drafting and letting your own pick orders and preferences and biases inform what you're drafting, you know, and like knowing when to lean harder into one or the other is also, I think, an interesting decision you have to make each draft. Right. Like, but balancing, you know, the the spectrum between, you know, true drafting the hard way, and, you know, reading signals, trying to do it that way versus, you know, dictating what's going on at the table and being somebody that's, you know, affecting those other people that are drafting the hard way. And I think, you know, that depends on the power level of the cards that you're starting your draft with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The less powerful you start with, the more you should be drafting the hard way. And the more powerful the cards you start with, the more you should be trying to dictate what the people around you are doing. Yeah, that's a really, really nice, succinct way to put that. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you, as always, to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, especially signing up for CFB Pro with the sweet daily newsletter that's now coming out, be sure to use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know we sent you there. Uh, you can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under the same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
All right, so there you have it, Boreal Outrider, your first glimpse at my preview card. Yeah. Well, first, are there more glimpses? No, one glimpse. One glimpse. All right, that's fair. <laughs> that's, let, me, let me try that again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>